Well, it's great to be here. A little nerve-wracking. There are some people here who have known me, um, shall we say, way too long. When I was uh, very young and, well, you know the rest. But um, let's be in prayer. Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, the Bible is full of lots of big moments and big ideas. And we humans seem to be geared towards noticing big events. But I think back to Sunday school, right here at FUMCO as a child, and then teaching Sunday school beginning as a high schooler, and I already warned that Beth, Matt, Cindy, and some others can share with you about this, having been my students, but they'll talk to you later. Anyway, um, but there were a lot of big events that come to mind. Of course, we start with the book of Genesis, and it begins with the whole universe being created out of nothingness. I think that this is the very definition of big. Now, not much later, Joshua had the people of Israel blowing a ram's horn, walking around the city, and the walls of Jericho came tumbling down. Big. Moses heard the voice of God in a bush that was on fire, but it was not consumed. Also, the waters parted, and Moses led the children of Israel through the parted waters to safety and liberation on the other side. Now, on the other we'd rather not talk about it side, the, those people who had just escaped from slavery in Egypt went forward and melted down their jewelry and other things and made a big golden calf to worship. But of course, I guess that being distracted by big shiny things is not something just for our generation. Young David stepped out in faith and he slayed the giant Goliath and it was a turning point in a war. Jonah was saved from a terrible storm at sea by being swallowed up by a giant fish and then spat out onto dry land. Elijah called down the power of the one true God to demonstrate to Queen Jezebel's cronies, those prophets of Baal, that they could throw tantrums, throw fits, slash themselves, you know, all kinds of horrible things, and nothing would happen, but he doused the altars with water, water, and God ignited them, and the offerings were burned to a crisp. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were untouched by the flames in the fiery furnace. Daniel survived being thrown into a lion's den. And of course, the entire New Testament, starting with the Gospels, where God entered into human history in the form of a baby who was visited by sages from other countries and he was saved from the slaughter of the innocents 
by King Herod, by means of a dream and an escape into Egypt. He grew up, he performed miracles that were astounding, awesome, maddening or frightening, depending on the witness's point of view. Jesus fed the 5,000 with loaves and fishes. He healed the blind and the lame. He turned water into wine and he raised his friend Lazarus from the dead. And Jesus was put to death as a criminal of the state, but he was raised from death and he commissioned his followers to go to the ends of the earth to spread his message and make disciples, which is a rather big order. Now, then comes Peter, the guy who denied knowing Jesus and everyone in Sunday school knows the story about the cock crowing and his remorse and self-loathing. Well, he ends up preaching to an international crowd who had gathered in Jerusalem for the Pentecost celebrations and 3,000 people, and that's not counting the women and the children, came to believe in Jesus after that first sermon. Then we have Saul, Paul, encountering the risen Jesus while traveling to Damascus to actually try to silence, by whatever means necessary, those people who were sharing the story of Jesus and making disciples in his name. Huge change. Paul becomes a preacher, a writer, and a martyr for the sake of the risen Jesus. And of course, in Sunday school, also learned about the stories of John Wesley. And when he was at sea during a violent storm, much like Jonah, and how his eyes were opened to faith, and a faith that was informed by unmerited grace, by the prayers, the hymns, and the calm assurance of the Moravian Christians on board amidst those howling winds and crashing waves. There are so many stories in the Bible, hymns, songs of praise, and worship that fill our imaginations with the big, the magnitude, the mighty acts of God. But our culture also provides other mental images of big. Now this is the pardon me while I vent section of the sermon, or as the late Joan Rivers used to say, can we talk? I am so over, go big or go home. It seems that the bigger, the better, and the biggest being equated with the best or the most valuable. There are comments on social media about how someone was oh, disappointed with a famous landmark or a place of natural beauty because it just wasn't as great as they felt it should have been, or they were just disappointed. Being unimpressed is now a thing. The movies, the albums, the shows with the biggest box office or ratings are frequently given greater value than those that have a unique point of view, an artistic vision, or just point out a truth. People seem to be really impressed with the grand gesture. The bigger, the better. Even in Christian circles, they're the prosperity gospel folks that tell you that your promotion, your new car, your perfect family are an indication of God's favor with you. 
people sometimes are overly impressed by the mega churches and the mega bucks. If it isn't big enough, it doesn't count. If it isn't fabulous enough or you aren't fabulous enough, don't bother. Now I work with really small humans on a daily basis during the school year. But even in elementary school, they are convinced that if they aren't the most accomplished, advanced, talented, popular, athletic, artistic, or anything else that can be quantified, they just give up. Or they decide to be the most out of control, the most naughty, the loudest, the pushiest, you name it. So at least they're the biggest something. Now, I don't want to imply that big equals bad. Of course, Bill and Melinda Gates and Warren Buffett pledging to give the bulk of their billions to good works and encouraging the other people in their rarefied tax bracket to do the same is fantastic. Warms my heart. The millions who have given their lives to Jesus while attending a Billy Graham crusade have grown the kingdom. The dreamers of those big dreams like eradicating diseases and taking on large-scale literacy projects have helped others catch the vision and make progress towards bringing God's hope and God's justice to the marginalized in our midst. But I know that from personal experience, and I love you know, being a United Methodist, where experience is part of what informs our faith journeys, that it's easy to miss those precious kingdom seats when our focus becomes distracted and we just aren't keeping our eyes open for those small things that seem to be easy to miss. As we think back on the parable of the sower, the parable of the wheat and the tares, and again, today's word, I want to reflect on the small seeds that grow the kingdom of God. Jesus' stories this morning, in this morning's gospel lesson begin with a mustard seed and yeast. Now, mustard seed and yeast are probably not going to appear on anyone's Instagram account, and even a pearl of great price isn't going to impress that many people or get that many likes. All of those are seemingly small things, but they're the focal point for Jesus' teachings about the kingdom of God. Now, a lot of us are familiar with mustard seeds because we use them in cooking or we have a penchant for grainy mustard. And, you know, face it, they are tiny. They get caught in your teeth. Um, Jesus did not say that the kingdom of God is like an avocado pit. Can't miss it. A mustard seed. But this seed, when it's planted, can produce a garden plant large enough to provide shade in a desert landscape and to provide a home for the creatures of the air. Um, some of the scholars that I read talked about small as a mustard seed being a common expression in the time of Jesus. We might talk of some, about something being small as a speck of dust. Might not be as small as a speck of dust, but everyone kind of gets the same idea. We're talking tiny. It's something that's, you know, insignificant. Now, I have to confess that I am not a baker. Well, except for maybe the yearly attempt at scones. But I do know that the delicious bread that you can buy at French's Bakery has that marvelous texture 
and we keep going back and buying it again and again, because the yeast goes, permeates throughout the dough and it causes it to rise and to expand. Now, bread that's intentionally unleavened, like matzo or pita, you know, it's fine, but there's just nothing like that beautiful loaf of bread leavened by the, the yeast. Now, I'm sure that many of those people who were listening to Jesus that day automatically thought of big when they heard the phrase, the kingdom of God. Now, the people of Israel had some experience with kingdoms. Um, there were the glory days of the power and the national pride during the reign of King David and King Solomon, where everything was big and beautiful and shiny and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years later, people still pined for those days. They also had experience with other kingdoms, the cruelty inflicted by the Assyrians, the Babylonians, and then in the time of Jesus, the Romans, the foreign overlords. Now, the popular inter interpretation of the Hebrew prophets that was going around at the time of Jesus was that there was going to be a Messiah, that this Messiah was going to come in like a knight in shining armor, big, driving out the Romans and reestablishing the glory days of King David. I can try to imagine what it was like for those people in the audience that day listening to Jesus and the confusion and possible disappointment when Jesus keeps talking about seeds, wheat seeds, tares, about seeds falling on different kinds of soil, and that it's also about the smallest seed that was planted for any kind of agricultural purpose. That the kingdom of God was going to come from something that appeared to the eye as insignificant, inconsequential, maybe unimpressive. But I found that small seeds can grow tremendous fruit in the kingdom of God. And I'm going to share some that have been in my experience, basically so that they might provide some seeds for thought and seeds for change. Because the kingdom grows each time that a seed is planted and lives are changed from that tiny seed, carefully planted and tended. Now, most of these are not flashy or Instagram or Snapchat or whatever worthy, but they're things that mattered. And many of them happened here at First UMC Orange. But I'm hoping that a few of these examples can help you recognize potential mustard seeds and multiplying yeast in your own lives. I think of Sunday school teachers who took kids seriously. And especially those of us who didn't quite fit in, and they carefully and prayerfully helped us to identify and to develop our spiritual gifts. I think of all the times that I've presented Bibles to young people that were user-friendly and helped make the word more accessible and more meaningful at whatever particular stage in life that person found himself or herself. 
I think one of the biggest things that made an impression were the adults whose lives provided the examples of perseverance through the dark night of the soul and the triumph of faith in the midst of terrible tragedy. Think of some church leaders, think of some Sunday school teachers, and I really hold up those patient souls who guided so many of us through the Fellowship of the Wayfarer. I think about the times where young people were given the opportunity to provide worship leadership and to share their faith journeys. Even when it's not always polished, the mic cuts out, or my favorite, when the helium balloons didn't have enough power to raise Jesus from the tomb, or in my case, the guitar skills that still left something to be desired. I remember a patient counselor on the field at Anaheim Stadium during the Billy Graham crusade, who finally got it through my head as a 13-year-old that it wasn't a matter of trying to be more Christian, but of growing as a Christian. The saving had already been done. I think about the time when people have taken the time to be truly present with each other. Now, the Stephen ministers in this church are fabulous at this, but it's probably even more important for the rest of us as we have those encounters with the irritating people that God has placed in our lives, so conveniently placed in our lives. And especially the more fast-paced our lives become, the more urgent this becomes. I think about the well-worded text or email that builds someone up and reinforces just how important they are to you and to God. I also think of old-school snail mail notes of encouragement and concern. And I've heard from people of numerous faith traditions about the messages that they've received that came at the needed time containing the message that that person desperately needed to hear. This definitely seems small, but I've seen God use these seemingly small gestures to change lives. I've seen it in bringing the casserole after the death of someone's loved one. It touches the family but can also plant seeds with those who may not have experienced the love of a church family. I see this in diversity of friendships. God has put some really interesting people into my life. Now, most of them are younger. My brother's going to say yes, much younger. And there are varying ethnicities and life experiences. Some are churched, some are not. Some gave up faith in a church a long, long time ago. Probably not faith in God, but not real happy with the church. And sometimes those little seeds get planted when we just show up for each other. It takes focus and once again really being present with that person, but God can provide amazing fruit from that ministry of presence. And I think of the moments in the silence of a mountaintop night, stars blanketing the sky, and having the privilege of praying with another Christian as a life is recommitted to Christ and a commitment is made to a specific and intentional growth in that person's relationship to Christ. 
happens at district elementary and youth camps, and has happened for so many that I even see out there within the Fellowship of the Wayfarer. Now, when we're looking at planting small seeds, it's not the same as tossing out shallow or casual gestures. A mustard seed is small, but it is mighty, containing within it the potential to grow to thousands of times its original size. And those kinds of powerful seeds are made possible by the grace of God and as going back to the other parables, carefully tending the soil of our spirits with nutrients from the word of God and irrigated by the living water. Jesus told his audience that day that the kingdom of God requires going all in, whether it's discovering a hidden treasure in a field and liquidating all of one's resources in order to make it one's own, or recognizing the most exquisite pearl and selling the rest of his inventory in order to obtain the very best. Who in your world needs a seed of hope and new life? The early church experienced the power of the mustard seed and the expansion of just a pinch of yeast. Most of these folks were beyond just ordinary. They Very few had any wealth, power, influence, education, status, or anything that would count as big in our world. However, as we say in education, they had a distinguishing practice. And that was, and it was said many times, see how they love one another. That could have been, they'll know we are Christians by our love, could have been their theme song, their brand, their calling. But thanks to the mustard seeds planted by those people who heard and believed the gospel, we can know Jesus and participate in his kingdom. Let it be so.